So I just had this picture right here, and I sat there, and I said, here, here, here's a picture. You can look at it in the locker room at halftime. I said, you couldn't do it here, but here, you count them yourself. Look, our next sponsor takes Treat Yourself very seriously. Well, food lovers meet the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. With this credit card, you'll get four times the points on restaurant deliveries, takeout orders, and dine-in brunches, lunches, or dinners. Plus, Altitude Go gets you two times points on groceries, yes, even delivery, streaming services, and gas or EV charging station pit stops. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply and learn how you can earn 20,000 bonus points. You deserve a credit card that gives you more and more and more. You deserve Altitude Go, NerdWallet's 2022 Best of Awards winner for Best Credit Card for Dining Benefits. Apply to become an Altitude Go cardholder at usbank.com slash Altitude Go. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated. Some restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Have Forgotten History. Glad you're with us. You know, they say marginal players as an axiom make the best coaches. And this week's guest would probably agree with that assessment. Played college ball, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but made his mark in the league as the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. All he had to do was take over for arguably the greatest coach of all time, Chuck Knoll, who won four Super Bowls in six seasons for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This week's guest is Bill Cower. He talks about taking over for a legend and then his transition to his post-coaching career as a stellar broadcaster for CBS. Enjoy this conversation with Bill Cower. All right, Bill, let's start here. As a kid growing up in Crafton, Pennsylvania, which is basically Pittsburgh, did you ever say to yourself, yeah, one day I'll coach that team? <laughs> no, I think it's the furthest thing I would ever be thinking about. I was, uh, but you know, growing up there, Trey, it was such a um, place, you talk about the a bedrock of, of, of football players. You go back to Mike Ditka, Marty Schottenheimer, yeah. uh, Joe Namath, I mean, so. Jim uh, Kelly. Jim Kelly, uh, Joe Montana, um, Dan Marino. And the, the one thing you learn from growing up there, and it was very blue collar. I had a paper route when I was eight years old. I worked in a steel mill, worked in a nursery throughout my time in high school. And um, But sports was a very, very important thing. You learned how to compete. You learned the difference between winning and losing. Um, you learned when you got knocked down that no one's going to feel sorry for you to get back up. And so those are the kind of qualities I felt like that, you know, I, I didn't know where it would take me. Um, I was blessed to have a, you know, a, a scholarship to go to North Carolina State. And I just tried to kind of embrace each opportunity as it came. And, you know, one thing led to another. And I remember coming back to Pittsburgh. I was 34 years old and going through the interview process, never really thinking I was going to get it. But, you know, you never know. I was prepared for the worst, hope for the best. And so when he called, and they said, do you want to be the next coach? And I was my interview, my second interview in the city, do you want to be the next coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers? And I said, yeah, um, great. <laughs> and he goes, um, the guy go, great. He goes, well, you want to know what you're going to make? I go, sure, whatever. And, you know, so, um, and so. Felt sound like this wasn't your best negotiation. Bill. It was not. It was not. Like it was this not. your best negotiation. I, I actually didn't have anybody represent me. I, I took it back actually to Denny Thum, who was working with the Chiefs at the time. I said, is this fair? He goes, yeah, it's fair. I go, great. But I remember going back to Kansas City that night, laying in bed. I go, wow, if I don't screw this up in three years and go back to my high school class reunion, I'll 
17th, my 20th high school class reunion as a head coach of my hometown team. So my first goal in the first three years was not to get fired. <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, you, you surpassed that bar yes, by a yes, while. But yes. you know, it's interesting, though, because I think people that aren't from Pittsburgh or know people from right. Pittsburgh do not understand what you just talked about. Like right. it is Pittsburgh is a city, but it's really a small town. Yeah. And and football is really the DNA of Western Pennsylvania. It is. It is. It, you know, you you you. You rank yourself with other people. And I remember, ironically, I, I went to work from playing to coaching under Marty Schottenheimer, who went to Fort Cherry. Marvin yeah. Lewis, who one of the guys I hired when I first got the job in 1992, was at Pitt. I played against Marvin. We were in. He was one year behind me. I played Fort Cherry in high school. So I brought him on. I said, come on, you and I are going to coach your linebackers. Now, remember, half these guys are older than we are. So we're going to have to be a little bit patient with these guys talking to Brian Henkel, David Little. They were both older than both of us, you know, but, but you bring the people in from there. It is in your DNA. It, it's a part of the makeup. You sat there through the seventies. You watched what Chuck Noll and the Pittsburgh Steelers did revitalizing that town, being so proud to be from there. So you, when you said you're from Pittsburgh, there was automatically this degree of toughness that you felt like you had to exude. There was this competitiveness that you felt you had to exude. There was also a humbleness about, you know what, we expect to do this. And we're not bra bra bragging about it, but this is who we are because we're from Pittsburgh. You know, it's, it's interesting, too, because I don't think any team has nailed the hiring process better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. My go-to line of all time since 1970, Steelers coaches three, Popes five. Okay? So we've, <laughs> yeah, we've right. had two more Popes right, since right. 1970 right. than we've had Pittsburgh Steelers head coaches. And the old joke is the NFL stands for not for long. What is it that you think about the Steelers and the way they handle the hiring process for coaching, the way they recruit, who they hire? What is it that they get right so often or not so often? What is it that they just get right that nobody else seems to understand? Well, you know, when I came in there, Trey, Chuck had been there for 23 years. And so he really was the emperor, as they talked about. He was the guy. Yeah. So when I came in there, I had roots in Pittsburgh, and I think that had a lot to do with why I was selected, because I understood what the mystique of the Pittsburgh Steelers was, and, and, and more importantly, where they were and what they did for that city and kind of what the obligation and responsibility that you had when you took that job. And so as I sat there for 15 years, after 15 years, and I decided to step down, um, I remember just saying to Mr. Rooney, this, this, you know, I know there's... Ken Wisenhunt, Russ Grimmer on the staff, but I would do like you did with me. You went outside of the of the room of the of the building and brought me in. Kind of fresh set of ideas. And they've done the same thing with Mike. And then Mike has gone in there and you know, I always said, you know, what kind of advice have you given to Mike? I said the same kind of advice that, that Chuck Noll gave me. None. Um, there was no advice. You know, it was like figure it out yourself. You will figure out that it's a family run business. There's a set of parameters, there's a structures that's in there that is time tested, that's family oriented, and there's a degree of patience you're going to have to have in working with them and doing things. But when it's all said and done, when you get out of those rooms that you walk out of and have those tough conversations, those tough decisions that you have to make, you'll make them together. There's no real lines of delineation in there. It's kind of like a collaboration you have in that whole building. It's a family type of feeling when you walk in there. And that kind of, I think, kind of trickles down to how the players feel when you walk in there. You see the trophies, the six trophies are there. There's a humbleness that's there. There's a responsibility that's there. You represent Pittsburgh. 
and everything you do is representing the city of Pittsburgh. And there's still, I know that the steel mills are gone, but the work ethic, the, 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 the proudness, and the understanding of what football means to, to, to the people there, that still exists. You're speaking of pride, I think anybody that played football at a, at a high level like you did at, at, uh, in, in college, North Carolina State, always would like to see how far they can take it, right? right? See how far I can go. When did you, as a player who obviously loved the game and, and wanted to do all this, when did, when did it hit you? I don't know. Uh, this might be it for me, and I might have to find another way here. Well, it did hit me. It hit me really hard. I mean, I, when I came out in 1979, I wasn't drafted. That's a 12-round draft. Yeah. I wasn't even drafted. Yeah. So I went as a free agent to the Philadelphia Eagles, and I was in the camp with Dick Vermeil in 1979. They had drafted Al Chesley in the seventh round, so I figured, okay, I'm going up against him, me and him, behind Frank Lemaster and, and, and Bill Berge, who are the two inside linebackers. Yeah, Bill Berge and, and, and Jerry Robinson was coming on at the you know at the time too. Out of UCLA, yeah, yeah. UCLA, and so um, so I I I didn't make the team. Okay, so I got cut, the last cut. I went back down. I got in school, um, at, and I was able to get down there um, with with Bo Ryan. God bless his soul. You know, he ended up having a, a crash when he went to LSU and, and died on, on a recruiting trip. But Bo brought me back down. And I had a chance to kind of be a GA, which was my first time coaching. And I thought, wow, this is kind of cool to be able to give the wisdom that you have, the reads that you have, dealing with some other players. And actually, Robert Abraham was one of the linebackers that was there at the time, who went on to play with the Houston Oilers and played in the yeah. NFL for eight years. But he was a better athlete than me. But I go, but man, I wasn't a great athlete, but I knew what to look for. These are little things, idiosyncrasies that you can have playing this position. And I said, well, I'll try one more time. So in 1980, I signed in January with the Cleveland Browns. I said, I'm not going to be that guy that keeps going to camps. I'm going to try one more time. Like I, I was really close with Philadelphia. I think I, I think I can make it in the right situation. Well, 1980 Browns come in and they bring in this guy named Marty Schottenheimer from Detroit who puts in this new system, a three, four defense. Wow. I said, so now everybody's learning the system for the first time. I'm in there now behind Robert L. Jackson and Dick Ambrose, but I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty smart. I can play inside. I can play outside. I was pretty good at special teams. And so I ended up making the team that year because I think we all started with the same understanding that we all were learning the same defense at the same time. So I, did, I wasn't behind. I was pretty smart to be able to understand two positions. I was pretty good in special teams. So I made the team in 1980 of the Cardiac Kids, and that was my first time playing. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I'll never forget walking out of that, that tunnel my first game as a Cleveland Brown. I'm going, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm in the National Football League. I'm actually playing for the Cleveland Browns. And I'm thinking, wow, I got to go back to Pittsburgh and play the Pittsburgh Steelers. If I'm now with the Cleveland Browns. And so I'm like, I was telling my, my, my father at the time, and I said, Dad, listen, I get it. You're a Steeler fan through and through. He goes, no, if you're in the Browns, I'm going to put a sticker on my, on my on my car. And I said, Dad, I wouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. <laughs> I said, so So he put the sticker on. He put the sticker on. And every time we would play, the, the, the Cleveland Browns would come down. They would come out at night. Somebody would come out and take my dad's aerial, the aerial that you had in the front of the car. They'd put a P yeah, into no, it. Yeah. I, they, would, oh. they would make it a P. <laughs> And my dad was so mad. So after the second year, I'd come down. He would stay up the night before because I'm going to catch whoever that is that's trying to turn my – I go, Dad, let it go. Just take the sticker off. I get it. You don't have to sit there and put yeah. the sticker on. It's okay. So it was it was rooted there, and it was real. And two cities like Pittsburgh and Cleveland are so, so similar in so many ways. They're 
blue collar people. They're great sports fans and sport, great sports lovers. And they had great history, particularly in football. Yeah, I mean, that, that that might sum up the passion for Pittsburgh right there. We're going to bend that antenna into a big every chance we get. So th- there is a saying, and I, I want to get your take on it, that sometimes the average player makes the better coach. Yeah. And Michael used to tell me this all the time, like Reggie White's hump move. They asked him, hey, can you teach me that move? How do you do it? And he goes, I don't know. I just do it, you know. And Mike was like, that's not really helping me. You know, I'm not right. you. I, I don't <laughs> right. have right. that, you know. Right. And I think there's something to that, right? If you know if no you question. know you're not a superstar and you know you have to use everything to your advantage, I think it helps make you a better coach. It does, Trey. I'm I, I a strong believer in that. I, I mean, I look at Marty Schottenheimer, nobody even more similar than that. When he was a backup linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. I was a backup linebacker for five years in the league, three with the Browns. I got traded to the Eagles, played two there. But everything I had to do was I had to understand all the idiosyncrasies of every defense. I understand what to look for. I could get a competitive edge. I was looking at a guy's stance. I was looking at a formation that I had studied and realized, okay, I can eliminate so many plays based on this formation. And every time they motion, okay, I knew what there was. I knew where my help was. I understood angles. I wasn't fast enough to be able to take a fault on this read. So I understood angles. I understood reads because I didn't have the athletic ability to make up for it if I didn't do it. I knew exactly what I was doing because I wasn't athletic enough to be natural about it. So it was something that was kind of, I had to kind of ingrain that into my thinking and the way I played the game. And so I think a lot of times the players who have played the game understand what the demands are, but when you have been average at it, you also understand how you have to study the game harder and longer, looking for those competitive edges, looking for the little things that can give you maybe one degree more of anticipation of what the play is going to be. Because football is about anticipation. It's about anticipation and trusting the guy next to you, trusting what you see because of the preparation that you put into it. And so I had to prepare harder, in my opinion, because I wasn't as as athletic. So you, you make the transition. I know you, you were on Marty's staff in, in Kansas City, and then you, you you get the job in Pittsburgh. Just, like, how nervous were you? Like, I mean, at some point, right, You're like you said, you were the youngest coach in the league at that time, and you beat out another Pittsburgh guy, Dave Wanstead, uh, for the job. He eventually went to the Chicago Bears and coming off that Cowboy staff with Jimmy Johnson that was an unbelievable staff. So many head coaches off that list. Like, when you stepped into Old Three Rivers for the first time, you're like, I better not screw this up. And like, you're replacing Chuck Knoll. Like, yeah, Chuck Knoll. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, it was pretty uh, overwhelming, to be quite honest with you. Because the first day I got in there, I did the press conference and my wife was with me at the time, and, and she flew back that afternoon because I was going right into meetings. I had, to, I had to interview some coaches. I was actually having to interview secretaries because Chuck's secretary stepped down when she stepped down, so when he stepped down. So now I'm interviewing assistant coaches. I'm interviewing secretaries. I'll never forget going back that night, and she had gone back to Kansas City. I called up. I said, okay, I think I'm in over my head. I said, I, I, this is overwhelming. And she said, you know what? You're fine. Just take it one day at a time. And that's all you can control. And everything else will just fall in place. I'm thinking, wow, okay. I'm good. I said, because I said, this is this bigger picture. So I said, I got it down. We put the staff together and I got, and I, and I sat there and just kind of took a breath and said, you know, I need to get involved with all elements of this team in terms of, you know, with, it, at the time it was plan B was, 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 was taking place. So it was a first step of free agency. So I had to sit there, who are we going to, who's the 43 players we're going to protect. So we're down there talking about that. And we're talking about the combine or talking about the draft. In the meantime, I had brought Ron Earhart in. He's going to take care of the offense. Dom Capers came in. Dom, 
make sure I, I'm going to be involved with this defense. So I want you to be able to call it a certain way, and I'll come back to you uh, in the summertime. But in the meantime, I got to get myself down here into the to the personnel department, just to make sure we're, you know, we're all on the same page, what we're looking for, what we're trying to develop here. So there was so much at the time that, you know, I remember going on with Myron Cope, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, here I am on with Myron Cope. He was the, the voice of terrible the Pittsburgh towel. Steelers. Okay. Yeah, the terrible town. He had his show at night, I'm sure. And I, I was on the show that night, very first night I got there. And I'm thinking, I know where my dad's at. He's in the kitchen, probably drinking a beer, and he's listening to Myron Cope. That's what he usually <laughs> did every night. So here his son is on the on the radio. I'm thinking, hey, Dad, I know where you're at. So um, it was um, it was just pretty wild just to go back there and just to be, you know, living a couple miles from where I grew up. And I mean, that that always was flashed back to me periodically. But I kind of never got involved with it. And I said, I'm not trying to 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 emulate Chuck Noll. I'll never repeat Chuck Noll. He was the emperor. And he what he did was uh, you're not going to even live up to that. So just just try to take what you have right here is take the tradition, take the expectation, take the responsibility you have, and try to bring this team together. We had not been in the playoffs once in the previous seven years, and. You know, we we had a good first year, and um, we were number one seed and twelve and four, and we're winning games, and the guys bought into it, and we had an identity as a team, and you know, so it took us a couple of years to learn how to win in the playoffs. We had not been in the playoffs before, yeah. and and so, but um, had a bunch of really good coaches, and you know, again, just trying to understand the dynamic in the building with Mr. Rooney, you know, dealing with the yeah. free agency and. At times, I said, "Hey, we we can assign this guy." And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't tell me how to spend my money." I said, oh, "Okay, my my bad." I said, "So, so, um, so I said, you know, so it it was just learning what the parameters were, and I probably pushed it a little bit at times, but you know, it's just trying to figure it out. What is the mystique of the Pittsburgh Steelers? And so many times, it was Mr. Rooney would let you do things, and you may have crossed the boundary, but then he would pull you back. And it started to become a little bit of my way of like with our football team. Like I want our players to push the boundaries and my job was to pull them back. But I wanted them to right. be confident. I wanted them to be forward thinking. I wanted them to have this creative thinking that, you know, I can do these things and have this freedom and this, this sense of confidence in doing what I'm doing. And I think, you know, the way he, he allowed me to do it with the team was kind of the way I was allowing my team to do it as I was kind of developing myself as a coach. And how you developed yourself as a coach and who you became as a coach really became a standard uh, for not only the Steelers, but for the league in general. Why don't we take our first break and when we come back, we'll talk about the evolution and some of the more interesting moments of your coaching career. (laughs) We're uh, we're talking with Bill Cowher here on Half Forgotten History. Stay with us. Welcome to our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, Caesar Sportsbook is the greatest betting app of all time. Why? Because Caesars makes everyone feel like an emperor. When you place your bets, win or lose, you earn more with Caesars rewards. Dining, getaway, stays, so many perks, people. You see, let me explain what that means. In our world, Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, there's no apostrophe in that spelling. Why is that? because everyone who downloads the app will be treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards, which means win or lose, you earn reward credits every time you wager. Redeem them for things like sports tickets, dining, getaways, and so much more. Presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. Finally time to play ball as Major League Baseball season begins today. The defending World Series champs, the Atlanta Braves, are plus 1,100 to repeat at Caesar Sportsbook. 
as you might imagine, the overwhelming favorite to win the World Series this year, the Los Angeles Dodgers at plus 475. They also have the highest win total at 98 and a half. In fact, no other team has a win total of more than 93. Let's do individual awards now, starting with the MVP. Uh, the favorite in the AL is the guy who won it last year. That would be the angel Shohei Otani. He is at plus 350. And in the NL, it's Washington Nationals outfielder Juan Soto at plus 300. Otani looking to become the first MVP back-to-back -back winner since Mickey Cabrera did it in 2012 and 2013. On the Cy Young front, a pair of New York pitchers lead the way. In the AL, it's the Yankees' Garrett Cole at plus 350. And in the NL, it's Mets free agent signee Max Scherzer at plus 500 to win his fourth, by the way. Only four other pitchers have been able to pull that off. Roger Clemens with seven, Randy Johnson with five, Greg Maddox and Steve Carlton with four apiece. Find more of Trey's Trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. 21 or older, 18 or older in VC must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis canceling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Copyright 2002, Caesars Entertainment. Gambling problem in New York? Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467-369. All right, back with Bill Cowher on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So as you said, you all got up to a great start. You made the playoffs uh, the first couple of years, but had some stumbles along the way before you finally broke through and won an AFC championship game against the Colts. And we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. But like to me, you sort of personified, the way you coach sort of personified the area of Pittsburgh. And there are, there are a couple of things that just stick out to me. Like th th when Greg Lloyd comes over to the sideline, NFL Films had you mic'd up, and you just you rush the quarterback. Rush the quarterback. Like, he, right. like I, I don't know if he's dropping into coverage or something. Like, no, no, bro, this is what you do. Rush the quarterback. Like, that's one of the that's one of the big coward moments for me. It's just that moment of you talking to him on the sidelines. Just to put the story together with that moment was, Greg, we had moved him in the dime defense to the inside, but we always wanted to blitz him. And he goes, I don't like blitzing um, from, 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 from being off the ball. I go, then, then get where you want to get. Just rush the quarterback. Whatever you want to do, get wherever you want to go. I just want you rushing the quarterback. And you, I don't care how you do it, but that's what you do best. You got it? And he wouldn't look me in the eye. He would just be, he'd be looking here and looking here. And I you know I always said, you know, Greg was one of those guys that you get in there, you say it to him, but you got to give him some space because Greg Lloyd had that little you – you saw the T-shirt he wore right before a game. Oh, yeah. He had, oh, yeah. I, I, was, I wasn't hired for my disposition. And so I yes. said, so you had him on one side, and on the other side you had Kevin Green – Who's flopping his hair? Oh my god! He was like the WWE yeah. wrestler. So yep. we had these two yep. bookends guys that couldn't be any more different than they were. And so Kevin would just embrace it all. And Greg would be just like, "All right, fine, great." I get so I 
just rush the quarterback. I'll keep it simple. I don't want to make you upset. Just do what you need to do and then do it. <laughs> yeah. There's another one that uh, that, I, that I have to ask you about. If I say the words Gordon McCarter to you, oh, uh, how, how do you feel? For those that don't know, Gordon McCarter was a former NFL ref in a 1995 <laughs> game, I think it was, against the Vikings. Right before yeah. the end of the first half, you were called for 12 men on the field uh, right. on a missed field goal by Fouad Revez. And then you got the Polaroids. And this was before we had Microsoft Surface Kids. Yes. And they had to take pictures and they yes. would <laughs> take the pictures and wire them down. Literally, there was a wire from the press box down to the sidelines and they would shoot them down on the sidelines. So you got the picture and it showed what? It showed that we had 11 guys. I was yelling at I said, okay, somebody tell me, who was out there? I said, Kevin Green. Were you? I wasn't. He goes, coach, we only had 11. I promise you. I go, well, they said 12. I thought, so I called another time. I called a timeout just to make sure. And someone to hand me the Polaroid. I called Gordon, come here, come here. I said, I have a Polaroid. I said, he goes, coach, I can't look down. You know I can't do that. I go, I know you can't, but I'm just telling you right now, do the right thing. Just do the right thing. We have 11 guys on the field. And you've got to make the call with standing on the Minnesota bench. So just take everything into consideration. It's fun. It isn't. He goes, I can't. We're staying with it. And so they had missed the field goal. And then they came back. They made the field goal. And we're running off the, the, the field. And so I just had this picture right here. And I sat there and I said, here, here, here's a picture. You can look at it in the locker room at halftime. I said, you couldn't do it yeah. here. But here, you count them yourself. And I ran off. And I and Truth be told, after the game, I had my daughter Lauren had come up to me afterwards and said, Daddy, I really like what you did to that ref. And so I used it as a teaching moment. I said, Lauren, no, your father was wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. He was wrong, but your father should not have done that to him and showed him up like that. He goes, but he was wrong. I go, he was wrong. I said, but your father was wrong, too, for acting that way. So I try to use it as a teaching moment. But I got to tell you, at the moment, it felt good just to stick that thing right in his, in his pocket. <laughs> it took you two tries, too. It, you, it fell yeah. off the first time. Then you had to go stuff oh. it back in the second time. I was going to make sure he did not. He could look at it. He was not going to get out. He was going to yeah. be in his pocket. I, he, he can get rid of it. He wasn't going to fall on the ground. No way. Yeah. And maybe it's something with you and field goals. Because there was the 1997, I think it was a Monday night game against the Jaguars. Uh, where it was a blocked field goal, and I can't remember his number thirty-seven. I can't remember who he was. Picked up the ball, he ran it back. It was Chris Chris Hudson. Chris Hudson, yeah, he ran it back for a touchdown. And who knew that, like you and Mike Tomlin would almost do the same, same thing? Well, like, you well, almost uh, looked like you wanted to cold cock him as he ran by on the sidelines. Well, here and here's a true story to that is is that it was it was then, and I actually, it was the last play of the game with a bad snap, and it's the first year I decided not to go with a long snapper. I had Sweeney doing a short snap, so I had uh, Kirk Bakken doing a long snap, so I figured I could gain a spot in the active roster, never to be done again, so I had a whole full-time snapper after that. But he blocks the kick. It's bouncing over to me, and I'm like, man, I just want to kick it like Charlie Brown. Like, damn, we just lost the, the game, and he picks it up. He's going to run it, run it in. I'm like, Man, that's one like elbow. They're like, come on, don't you're going to score two? We already lost the game. Yeah. But that, the ironic part of that, that was the same sideline, the same point where Woody Hayes punched Charlie oh, Bauman yeah. from Clemson. Bauman. It Clemson. was the same. Yeah. Yes. And so it was on the same field, the same sideline. So I blame the ghost of Woody Hayes on that moment. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. I had not put that together because that was at the Gator Bowl. That's exactly right. It was at it, the Gator Bowl. Same, same sideline, almost the same point on the field. So I think Woody came up 
It just said, Bill, let it go like I did. <laughs> you know, and one of the big trades you guys made, I was working in St. Louis at the time, was when you guys made the trade for Jerome Bettis. Uh, and that was a whole big deal with him. Didn't want to leave L.A. and with the Rams, move to St. Louis and all that kind of stuff. The trade you made for Jerome was just perfect for the Steelers organization. I mean, yeah. uh, listen, Greg Lloyd, Kevin Green, all those kind of guys, you know, all the off- great offensive linemen, yeah, no question. But the way Jerome played sort of yeah. personified the way you wanted to coach football. Yeah, he he fit our, our system, Trey. I remember, you know, we had lost – uh, Bam Morris had gotten in some problems in the offseason. We'd coming off the uh, Super Bowl 95 with Eric Pegram. And we were a running football team. We were a team that, you know, we were playing. We had one of the best defenses in the National Football League. We're still, you know, we had uh, Neil O'Donnell, but he had just left. So we're probably going to start, you know, we were talking between Mike Tomczak and Cordell Stewart, but we were going to still be a running football team. And we needed someone to depend on. And I remember Jerome ran against us a couple years before for over 100 yards. I said, heck, if you can't beat him, join him. So we tried to, we traded for him. And I remember that draft, if we had not traded for him, we were looking at Eddie George as maybe being a guy that we would pick that would fit our system just as well. And also so would have worked. We, and we got, and we got Jerome Bettis. And honestly, he was just a perfect fit for us. We went out the next year and got Tim Lester, the fullback, who was his fullback with, 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 with the Rams as well. He was just the perfect fit at the right time for us. I always said, I think that 97 team that we had in Cordell's first year as a full-time starter was probably as good a team as we had in my time being there. We lost to the, to, to the Denver uh, Broncos in the AFC championship game. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Cordell threw a couple interceptions in that game, and we had our chances in the fourth quarter, but, you know, we just we couldn't finish the deal. But, um, you know, that what Jerome did, him staying with us through those period of time and ultimately taking us back to the Super Bowl in Detroit, um, it's funny, we got him the year after he went to the Super Bowl in Arizona, th- in Super Bowl 30. We get him the next year, nine years later, we, he takes us back and we finish a deal in Detroit. So just an integral part of our team and, you know, his his leadership and his ability to accept his roles as he got older and kind of as we try to keep him involved. But, you know, it, it, um, just a special player, a special guy. And, you know, as I said to this day, one of my favorite guys I ever coached and, and he was um, – just a unique individual. Well, you know, I remember and we had Jerome on uh, last season on the show and we talked about, I think the year after the trade, you guys played the Rams. Yeah, and we did. It was a, it was a, it was like a 35 degree day, you know, sunny, perfect Pittsburgh weather for football. And, you know, I remember Rich Brooks, God bless him, came out dressed head to toe, hat, parka, mittens. <laughs> You're over there in your little zip pullover. <laughs> and uh, I believe you were mic'd up for that game, too. And I think you're like, this is why we brought you here. And he went off yeah. in that game. Like Jerome went off, went off against his old team. And I and I, pull, I pulled him after the third quarter. I said, you're, he goes, I want to do more. I go, no, you're not doing any more. We need you for the rest of this season. I don't need you. He goes, I want to do it. I said, if you keep talking like this, I'm going to talk to your dad. He's up. He's in the stands. Your, your mom and dad, I'm going to talk to him. But you're really being a pain in the ass right now. And so I said, so get over there. You're not going back in. I know it's your old team, but there's we have more to win in this season than just this game. Yeah. So, but he was awesome, and he had one of those games where you you can just tell the look in his eye, man. He came out, and we gave the ball early and often, and he did his thing. And I said, I'm pulling him out because he's 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 going to leave it all on this field. I got to protect him from my because we need him for the rest of this year, not just this game. This game's in hand. Yeah, and, and actually, you know, we need to go back to Super Bowl Thirty because, but until until Sean Payton 
did the surprise onside to start the second yeah. half. Your yeah. surprise onside against the Cowboys in Super Bowl 30 was absolutely the greatest call. Bobby April, wasn't he your special teams guy that year? Wasn't it Bobby, Bobby April? April? Bobby April was my special teams coach. And it's so funny, Norm Johnson was the kicker. And we and we watched it. We knew it was there the entire time. Matter of fact, I I, I kid right now because Phil Sims is on the show with us, and Phil will tell you that he was up there with um, uh, Dick Enberg. They were doing the, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and so I went in there to the bod- the broadcast before the game. I says, you know, uh, we're going to do a an onside kick. I said it's there. My only question is, do I do it on the opening kickoff or do I wait and save it? And I and so they're going, well, I go, what do you guys think? Because I, I felt so comfortable talking. They had done about four or five of our games all year. Right. So I could talk to them so openly. And I was a young coach. I thought, you know, I know everything we say stays in here. So I said, what do you guys think? And I go, well, and I started go, you know what? I'm probably going to save it because you really don't gain anything with the opening kickoff. I'm going to save it to when I really need it. And then in the third quarter, we were coming back and, and Norm hit the perfect uh, kick, the high hop, because they were leaving early leaving early and Dion figures caught before we're not, we went in and scored. We got ourselves within four points and then we, we, we were right back in the game. And so, um, you know, that's the one thing I did learn. And I, and I learned just enough from that uh, Trey is you get into the playoffs, you got to play loose and you got to kind of think outside the box. And if you look at all our playoff wins and they go back to Super Bowl 40 that we won, uh, you know, the, the throw from Antoine Randwell to Heinz Ward, we used a lot of trick plays in big games because I almost feel like you had to play those games to win because you're so evenly matched. You had to, you had to be willing to, to roll the dice a little bit on some of the things that you did. Be unconventional yeah. in your thinking. And so we always had these different plays, whether it be a defense we saved in the second half or a trick play we had. I learned that, you know, Don, through the years, like after the first few times is, you know, don't just stay true to who you are in the playoffs. Think outside the box and do some things that are different. People that they don't expect you to do it. And so I felt more yeah. comfortable doing it, ironically, in the playoffs than I did more so than in the, in the regular season. Yeah, and that game, again, I, we'll move on quickly because it, obviously it was bitter. But, you know, Le- Larry Brown sort of became the MVP of that game by default. Neil threw a couple of late interceptions. And the last interception, which sealed the game, I, I remember seeing the end zone shot from behind Neil. And I think it was Yancey Thigpen was so wide open. Like if he had just thrown it to Yancey, he'd still be he'd still be running today. He'd still he, be running. There was no one around him. Yancey was outside and Andre Hastings was inside and he tried to throw it to Andre and Larry Bryan just sat there and just just dropped his coverage. And um yeah, it was just uh we had, you know, we had our chances. And I and early in the game, Neil threw a couple, but I'll give him I'll say this. That's back those balls they were so – they had the silicone on them. They were not wiped down. Yeah. Those Super Bowl balls were so slippery, and it sailed out of his hands very early. We had a touchdown. If he hits, you know, uh, the outside guy, Thigpen, early in the first quarter, and Larry Brown didn't even follow him. He's just sitting there. The ball came right into his hands because it, it just – they overthrew him so bad. But if he hits – if he hits Yancey, it's a touchdown. So, yeah. well, there was a couple plays that just totally turned and, and – but again, you know, it's like it's one of those games that, you know, you're you're in the Super Bowl in your fourth year and you think you'll get back. And wow, you realize it, 10 years later, you don't just go back. It's it, it's hard to get back yeah. there. So it uh, I appreciate it so much more the second time. Well, and the other thing I remember from that game is after the game, uh, you were just sort of in the moment, you know, realizing what had happened. The opportunity slipped and your kids ran on the field and your wife at the time ran on the field. And I just... 
immediately you went into dad mode. Like they were so sorry for you. And you're like, no, no, we're good. We're good. Like that's the transition you have to have, right? That's the transition you have to have. Otherwise this job will just swallow you up. It really is training. I'll never forget. They they were on the field because they thought we were going to come back in the fourth quarter with, after we had gotten so close and then we were going to do one of those, you know, what are you going to do next? We're going to Disneyland. So I had my wife and my oldest daughter. And so they were on their thing and then we lose the game and I walk over and, I'll never forget uh, to this day the words that were said. My wife gave me a kiss on the cheek and said, sorry. And and I said to Lauren, hey, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And, um, you know, and she said to me, Dad, win or lose, you always be my hero. And I just thought, Megan, thank you. That's such a sweet thing to say. And I remember walking in and just just the perspective that something like that gives you with the kids. You know, it's just like, you know, the teaching moments that you have is in the greatest of stages. It's still a game. Sometimes you win and sometimes you will lose. They won't define who you are. It just it'll, it'll inspire you to do better the next time. And so it's, um, you know, I just think it's it's one of those things that the kids have a way at times keeping life in its proper perspective. And I was so blessed to have the three girls I had, or four girls throughout the course of my time. They said, did you ever want a boy? I said, nope. I got 53 of them at work. They're enough. <laughs> I, said, I said, so I got 53 boys at work. And they're all like my kids. And yeah. I said, you know. You have the same conversation that you have with your girls. It's, you know, it's all about choices and consequences, the people you surround yourself with, and nothing good happens after midnight. So those are the same things yeah, you're saying exactly. to your kids, you're, you're saying to your players. <laughs> yeah, as Herm always said, also don't press send, also true. Um, yeah, yeah, so exactly. let, you, yeah you, you mentioned like you think you'll go back, but it took a while. And the way you got back, you guys had to hang on for dear life in that 2005 season. You lose to Cincinnati 38-31. Yeah. I think in week 13, and then you realize if we don't run the table and get help, we're not going to make yeah. the postseason. But somehow that's exactly what you did. We did. You know, we had four games left, and, you know, I just took all the goal boards off. I said, you know, our playoffs start right now. The first team was coming into Pittsburgh. It snowed that day with the infamous Jerome um, uh, against the Chicago Bears, Brian, Brian yeah. over Brian Urlacher. And then the next week we had to go up to the Minnesota Vikings. They had won eight in a row. And that was a tough game. We, we won that game like like 13 to nine or something. Then we played the Browns. We beat them pretty easily. Then we beat Detroit. We came in as a sixth seed. And everyone's talking about no sixth seed ever gone to a championship game, let alone going to a Super Bowl. So, you have, you know, Pittsburgh fans, you know, all the papers are reading about it. Hey, don't worry. Don't get too excited. They're going to be one and done just like they've been. This team can't get past the championship game. And so we ended up being a revenge tour because we played – the first team we played was the Bengals, which was the last team we lost to. Yeah. We beat them. Yep. The next team we played was the Indianapolis Colts with, with Peyton, and they embarrassed us earlier that year on a Monday night. We beat them. Yeah. And then Denver, we, 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 we need to talk about that Colts game. That was the, oh, one of the weirdest yeah. games of totally. all time. Okay. I mean, like, I said, there's a million yeah. things that went wrong, crazy for both sides in that game. Unbelievable went wrong. And I said, a lot of things went right. As I told, I remember talking to Peyton afterwards. I said, man, we sack him on three, on, on two consecutive downs with the same blitz. Cause I said, man, they haven't picked it up. So just keep calling it. Yeah. And we get the ball like the four yard line. It's over. Just give the ball to Jerome because we, we can't run it out to use our timeouts. Jerome never fumbles. Ben makes his unbelievable tackle. Tackle. And, I Tackle. Mean, I mean, it, I mean, it was like unbelievable. He's twisting and turning. He trips up Harper, who ironically yep. 
was stabbed the night before by his wife. Yes, by his <laughs> wife in the leg. I was like, I think an assist on that tackle goes to Nick Harper's wife for making sure that leg wasn't as good as it needed to be. Now, we should make a movie out of that game alone with all the sidebars <laughs> that were involved with that. So, I mean, you know, and then, and then Peyton throws a couple balls into the end zone that Brian McFadden makes a couple of unbelievable plays. And then you have their kicker who sits there and hasn't missed a kick all year. I mean, he's yep. like he's like one of the most accurate kickers in the world. And I called timeout and trying to ice him. And my, hey, Vanderjack, and, 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 and he's looking at me. I'm going like, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I got timeouts. Yeah. I might as well ice you. And he misses yeah. the thing wide. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You can't make this It barely stayed up. in the stadium, Bill. It barely <laughs> stayed in the stadium. Like, I, I don't think he's had a worse miss in his career. I mean, I was watching that game, and as soon as he left his foot, it's like, that's going out the exit ramp over there. <laughs> it was bad. And I don't think he's ever recovered from that. I think a year later he was out no. of the league. I mean, it was like yeah. an unbelievable. And then, and then, you know, and then, like I said, Denver was Ben's best game. And, yeah. and all of a sudden we go, here we are going back to Detroit where Jerome's, you know, grew up. And, you know, so it was just an unbelievable journey that we had. We top it off and, again, you know, it wasn't Ben's best game, but our defense played well enough. And, you know, the big pass from Ranton Rinderwell to Tynes Ward, you know, we we, we win it. And it's Fast just, Willie um, Parker with the touchdown run of 75 yes, yards. To start the third quarter, very first time coming out of the, kind of the halftime. So that was like, you know, that was huge. And at the end of the game, again, giving the ball back to Jerome. Make sure you hold on to that ball now with two hands. No more fumbles. <laughs> we, we've already done this once. So, uh, it was it was it was a special team, you know. It's finally getting that one for the thumb and for Mister giving it to him 14 years after he hired me. Um, that was a really special moment for me to be able to hand him that Lombardi Trophy. Finally, the one for the thumb after 26 years. But what did it mean to you? Like because you know you had a reputation as you said they talked to the pitch. Oh, yeah. they can't get past the championship game. I think you were two and four in conference yeah. championship games in your career. So no one wants to be that guy. No one wants to have that as their label. So what did it mean for you when the clock struck zero and realized none of that matters anymore? You know what, uh, Trey, to me, it just reemphasized the element of being resilient and the element of not allowing disappointment or, or, or getting knocked down to define who you are. I continue to come back, never lost confidence in what we were doing, who we were doing it with. And just the resiliency of that. And just to also believe that sometimes the faith that Mr. Rooney had in me and, and how much I was appreciative of that. And, you know, it, and again, I go back and I said, you know, yes, you know, you're going to get defined by things. But I was very proud of the fact of what we did year in and year out, how competitive we were, how we represented the city in a manner with which it was pretty replica of, of who we were. We were a tough team. We were a physical team. We were a humble team. Um, and, and we were very proud of who we were and where we came from. And that to me was what, you know, a profession, what professional football was all about. And I was very proud of that. And I, you know, and so to this day, you know, in those 15 years, um, you know, we had some tough, tough and disappointing losses, but I almost feel like they defined also who we were, the ability to continue to get up when you get knocked down and not let that define you, that we, we were resilient. We were tough. We were disciplined. We were uh, competitive and we were humble and so those are the things that you know, I try to take with me as we go down through it that sustainability is a culture and a culture is something that you have to breed and you have to develop and it's about the people you bring around you coaches and players and again it starts at the top and the Rooney family were, were the best leaders there were in the National Football League.
Okay, why don't we take our second break here? We'll come back and talk real quickly about your, your post-coaching career because sometimes that's always a, 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 a rough road, but you made a really smooth transition, and we'll get to that uh, with Bill Cowell right after this. Welcome to our newest weekly segment, Trey's Trends, presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, Caesar Sportsbook is the greatest betting app of all time. Why? Because Caesars makes everyone feel like an emperor. When you place your bets, win or lose, you earn more with Caesars rewards. Dining, getaways, stays, so many perks, people. You see, let me explain what that means. In our world, Caesar isn't the only emperor. You see, there's no apostrophe in that spelling. Why is that? Because everyone who downloads the app will be treated like an emperor. We are all Caesars. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards, which means win or lose, you earn reward credits every time you wager. Redeem them for things like sports tickets, dining, getaways, and so much more. Presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. Finally, time to play ball as Major League Baseball season begins today. The defending World Series champs, the Atlanta Braves, are plus 1,100 to repeat at Caesar Sportsbook. As you might imagine, the overwhelming favorite to win the World Series this year, the Los Angeles Dodgers at plus 475. They also have the highest win total at 98.5. In fact, no other team has a win total of more than 93. Let's do individual awards now, starting with the MVP. Uh, the favorite in the AL is the guy who won it last year. That would be the Angels Shohei Atani. He is at plus 350. And in the NL, it's Washington Nationals outfielder Juan Soto at plus 300. Otani looking to become the first MVP back-to-back -back winner since Mickey Cabrera did it in 2012 and 2013. On the Cy Young front, a pair of New York pitchers lead the way. In the AL, it's the Yankees' Garrett Cole at plus 350. And in the NL, it's Mets free agent signee Max Scherzer at plus 500 to win his fourth, by the way. Only four other pitchers have been able to pull that off. Roger Clemens with seven, Randy Johnson with five, Greg Maddox and Steve Carlton with four apiece. Find more of Trey's Trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. 21 or older, 18 or older in D.C. must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis canceling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. Copyright 2002, Caesars Entertainment. Gambling problem in New York? Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK 467369. Back with Bill Cower on Half Forgotten History. So after the Super Bowl win, you guys go 8-8, eight and eight, you decide to hang them up. How difficult was that decision for you? Well, you know, I knew it was a good football team, Trey. And I, and I, but at the time, I just had some family situations going on with my wife. She was not in a good place. Um, you know, as we turned out, passed away three years later. Um, but, you know, it, I, was, I was good with it. 15 years, we'd done it the right way. I stepped down. 
I was blessed enough to have CBS as a platform I could go to. And, and that was a big part of being able to make that transition because I couldn't go cold turkey. I was only 49 right. years old at the time. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what it would bring. I, 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 I never used the word retirement. Um, I said, I don't know. I had the best job in football. I had the best owner of football. I won the Super Bowl in my contract year and refused to do an extension. Um, I said, I don't want to do an extension, which led to a lot of the speculation about me stepping down. They all thought because I wasn't offered money. And I said, it had nothing to do with money. It's my family situation that I'm with right now. And um, that's going to prioritize every decision that I make. And so I stepped down. I got into CBS. Um, as I said, I, I was able to spend those last three years with my wife, which was was perfect. And I needed to do that. Um, she passed away in 2010. Uh, ironically, I met my current wife at the time. She's a New Yorker musician. Um, I was at CBS. A lot of people would come to me and thought, okay, maybe this is the time that you come back. And I, I never went back. And I never felt really got close to going back because I said, you know, I don't have anything else to prove. I didn't think I'd get in the Hall of Fame. I knew when I walked away, I didn't think the Hall of Fame was going to be part of it because, um, you know, for whatever reason. I said, but I left them, I left that team in a better place than I found them. And it was a very good football team. And the coaches were in place. The, the players were in place. You had a franchise, Hall of Fame quarterback right there. And it was it was good. So I, I felt good about that. And then, then, you know, suddenly a couple of years ago when the Hall of Fame did come, it was icing on the cake. But I've been blessed 15 years at CBS doing the same thing on Sundays. I love talking about the game. I love the game of football. I love the National Football League. And I love to be able to be – give the perspective of being on the other side of it. I played it. I coached it. I know what we see on the outside. Sometimes we, we create a narrative that's not really accurate because we don't know what's on going on on the inside. We always said the noise on the inside of the walls is a lot less than the noise on the outside of the walls. And I understand what that is because you're, you're, you got a lot of people you're dealing with. There's a lot of people getting pulled in different directions and try to keep a team together. Sometimes it takes time and it takes tough times to be able to do that. And so I understand that and try to give that perspective on a weekly basis. And potentially some tough times going ahead for Pittsburgh now. Now, Mike Tomlin is still there, never had a losing season, which is ridiculous. Um, it's just remarkable, the, the run that he's had. But now we are moving on from Ben Roethlisberger. What do you expect happens with the Steelers going forward? Well, I, I think right now the race and Rudolph is going to be given an opportunity. I think They'll see what it's going to be like in free agency. I don't expect them to, to get into a bidding war for any one particular player. I think they'll look at the draft. Um, uh, maybe if a Pickett or a Malik Willis were able to drop to them, I think that will have a lot to do with it. And so, you know, to see what the draft hat holds. I know that they want to bring four quarterbacks in. Um, they have Haskins. They have Rudolph right now. So if they get one in free agency, they maybe get one in the draft as well and, and see where that goes. So, um, you know, I think the thing they will need to do is get continue to develop that offensive line. They got a good running back in Najee Harris. I think defensively, get the secondary needs to be yeah. a little revamped. You know, again, but it's a tough division right now. The Bengals yeah. come out of nowhere, and we see what the day, what that has done with Joe Burrow in a very short period of time. And it's maybe one of the toughest divisions in football. Oh, absolutely. And the Ravens are going to get better, not worse, after all the injuries they suffered last year. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. they they were so beaten by the injury bug even before the season started, losing their top two running backs. Right. All right, I gotta, yeah. Before I let you go, i got to ask you this. Like you, you coached a lot of great players, and we talked about Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green. T.J. Watt's your kind of player, right? Oh, totally. T.J. Watt is <laughs> – you know, T.J. Watt, Cam Hayward, I look at those two guys yeah. play the game, 
Mika Fitzpatrick, I look the way he plays the game. I hear how they talk. These guys love the game. They have a passion for the game. You know, TJ, you know, the records, yeah, okay, that comes with it. But he just wants to win. And he plays with a passion, with a sense of purpose. Same with Cam Hayward. They're playing Mika Fitzpatrick. These, those three guys, and I say kind of like those three guys to me, they, they could have played in any era you know, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. They could have played back with the Steel Curtain. And you know what? The Steel Curtain would have embraced every one of them. It, it's so funny. And I think Troy said that in Canton, you know, when the players come up to you and said, you know, and I've, I've had guys like Joe Green come up and Al Blunt come up to me and I met Jack Lambert and they said, you know, we could have played for you, coach. And um, and I thought, you know, when they, when, when the people from that era says they would have, you could have played with them or you could have coached them. That's one of the biggest compliments you could have get Trey. And so I think when you look at Cam Hayward, you look at Micah Fitzpatrick, you look at TJ Watt and you can make that statement that, you know what, you could have played with us back in our day. That's one of the best compliments you could get. And those three guys, they, they represent what the Steelers are all about. So I'm not worried about that side of the ball at all. I think they got to find that quarterback right now for the Steelers and get back to maybe running the football a little bit. You know, that, that that's okay. That solves a lot of problems too. And I said, there's only a few places that you have that you can run the ball for three yards and they'll get up and they're going to, they're going to clap. And Pittsburgh's one of them. The Chicago Bears yeah, another absolutely. one. So I just take one of yep. Chicago Bears. Hey, three yards in a cloud of dust. And I said, uh, I, I think that that would be um, – uh, there's only a few teams that, that that will take that, and those two represent that: the NFC and the AFC. Absolutely, and uh, the biggest compliment you can get as a a member of uh, playing and, and coaching in the NFL is getting that gold jacket. And Cower Power is real, mm-hmm. and it's spectacular, and it's in it's in Canton forever. Uh, Bill, I enjoyed watching mm-hmm. your teams play. I enjoyed the coach. I love the interactions you had with your players, uh, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to get you on because it was just so real. It, it always felt like your relationship with your players was you. you 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 held nothing back, and I always respected that. And I and I loved every one of them. I loved them all for the sacrifices they made, and the roles that they took and accepted. And you know, a lot of times, like with your kids, like we didn't have our agreements, and I pushed them. And I used to say sometimes, get comfortable being uncomfortable because I'm going to make you uncomfortable because that's the only way you can be as good as you can be. It doesn't mean I don't love you. I love my kids, but I make my kids uncomfortable at times too because I I push them to be as good as they can be. But that doesn't mean I don't care about you as a person. And, and you know, I always thought that they won't care about you until you know you care about them. And my conversations to them wasn't always about football. It was about how they were doing at home, how their wives were doing, how their kids were doing, how their parents were doing, how their brothers and sisters were doing. Because, you know what, they were still individuals and still people. And I loved them like they were my own sons. And, and, and I mean that. I had three girls at home and I had 53 boys at work. And um, I cared for them all in the same way. And it worked out on both fronts. Uh, Bill, we appreciate your yes. time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Trey. So thanks again to Bill for joining us this week. And, and who would have thought after all these years, he's a New Yorker. As he said, he made a wrong turn somewhere. But our next week's guest did not make a wrong turn. His arrival in Indianapolis completed the triplets for the Colts. And boy, did the trio of Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, and Edgerin James go on to do great things for the Indianapolis Colts. Edge is next week's guest. We'll see you then.